The following podcast is a Dear Media production. She's a lifestyle blogger extraordinaire. Fantastic. And he's a serial entrepreneur. A very smart cookie. And now Lauren Everts and Michael Bostick are bringing you along for the ride. Get ready for some major realness. Welcome to the Skinny Confidential, him and her. Aha! When somebody is able to put together long-term sobriety, typically there's no epic moment where they get arrested or they crash their car or like going to jail, losing your kids, getting divorced, losing your job, all that stuff. It's all human aid. It's all like stuff that exists here on this plane. So it really doesn't affect you. You don't care. When your alcoholism or drug addiction is active, you don't really exist as a person. Your alcoholism or addiction is live and thriving and you're just kind of like along for the ride trying to keep up. Hello, Tank Sinatra, a.k.a. George Resch, is on the Skinny Confidential, him and her podcast today. We flew all the way to New York City to interview Tank. I call him Tank. His name's George, but I just feel like Tank is perfect. You probably recognize his name from Instagram. He has three million followers. He has one of the most iconic meme pages. And he also hosts the podcast, The Think Tank. He just launched a game called Influencers in the Wild which is a good time, let me tell you. And he's the author of Happy is the New Rich. In this episode, we talk all about his journey with sobriety. We talk about entrepreneurship. We talk about building something from nothing. And he really opens up about being undateable, unemployable, overweight, a smoker, an alcoholic. To now, his life, he's happily married. He's a father. He's a bodybuilder, non-smoker, been sober. He's going to tell you all the things And I really like this episode personally because I feel like he's very vulnerable and he's open and he's honest and it is refreshing, let me tell you. On that note, let's welcome Tank Sinatra to the Skinny Confidential, him and her podcast. This is the Skinny Confidential, him and her. My wife was the first person who was like, I don't want to talk about this right now. I'm too angry. And I was like, what do you want to make an appointment to get mad later? What are you doing here? We're in it now. I'm already pissed off. I don't want to get pissed off again later. I think it's really strategic to say that, though, because she's actually being stoic about it. It's so smart. So much better. It's so much. Well, it's better for everyone. Yeah, because I'm a maniac. Like If I get mad, I just say things that are not true and are designed to hurt because I'm mad. You seem like a pretty calm guy. Yeah, until I'm not. I'm Irish. So it's like it takes me a little bit to get pissed off. But then once I'm mad, it's like I'm Irish and German. Okay. So yeah, let's go. I fell in love with your content because I think you're so funny. And then you voice noted me and I was on the floor freaking out because like your voice is amazing. And you voice noted me about one of the posts that I did on having a nanny. and Oh, I, people got so mad that I even would dare offer my opinion to you, by the way. How really? does anyone not even know? Because I commented. I said, hey, I wrote you. I sent you a DM about this. And people were like, you're a man. What do you know about this? The DM was actually really profound. Say what yeah, it no said. no shit. I'm the man. Yeah. I fucking know what's going on. Say what you said. It was about you, something about you and, and a nanny and like how crazy it is to just have a life, first of all, and kids. And I was raised by a, a mom and dad. Dad worked a lot. He worked for the Long Island Railroad. Then he was the treasurer of the union. He had, you know, multiple jobs, coaching, you know, whatever. 
And my mom was just like barely hanging on by a thread. It was three kids all within. She was like, watching all the kids. Yeah. And she cleaned, you know, she like did odds and ends jobs to like try and make a little extra money. But yo, I mean, it's a lot. So when I have a 16 year old stepdaughter, a, an almost 10 year old son and a five year old son, when my five year old son was born, my wife was like, I could really use some help. I'd like some help. She owns an esthetician business. She's like busy. So and she, how was she doing it without a nanny in the first place? School, preschool, stuff like that. But then with the new baby, she's like, I'd like to get a nanny. And I was like, yeah. you know, I went, I try so hard not to do this. I don't like blaming the problems of today on the people who were younger than us. Like we were here first, we, you know, we're raising them. I don't get that whole like, part, you know, participation trophies are millennials fault. Like you ordered them, dude. I was seven. I didn't have a say. I didn't order the participation trophy. I was playing little league. Meaning so, like, it's not the kids' faults that they're getting participation trophies. It's, it's, our, it's our faults because fa we, we put them in place. Of course, you're the one who, who sidelined the coach and said, hey, how come you're not playing my son? Well, your son kind of sucks. <laughs> you know, what's going on at home? Are you practicing with him? No, I'm too busy. That's your job. No, it's your job. You're the parent. Anyway, so my wife wanted a nanny and I was like, well, my mom raised us with no nanny and blah, blah, blah. And then literally my next thought was, she probably could have used some help, though, because it was pretty fucking crazy in the house. My thing is y y with the nanny. Y y and I it think sounds like you're rich and you're like disconnected from life, but that's not what it is. It's, like it's nothing to do with it. I spend money on my time. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not an octopus. I can't give my husband a hand job while I'm <laughs> while I'm podcasting. <laughs> And trying to run a business and raise kids and clean the house and do the laundry and have dinner on, on the table and bend over. Like, I can't do everything at once. Yeah. So I well, have the way, to, no, the way I think we look at it, too, is like if we were like, you know, because the way I look at parenting is in order to be an effective parent, you have to be in a happy and good mindset yourself. Right. Like you can't be this disheveled person that's angry and pissed off and resentful about having children. Right. And yeah. And Lauren and I consciously made the decision that like, hey, we're both going to keep working and both keep building the things that we want to build to keep us happy at the same time we do want to be parents but it to us it was like okay just like running a business you need help to run that business you can't just do it all on yourself and we're like okay we don't have any family around us we can afford it fortunately and we need to bring these people in to help us with our children when we're doing stuff like this because we don't want to skip a beat and so and we didn't want to be in a position where like we're disheveled and resentful and like like running around not able to to do it you know what i mean so did well how did you change it was in an instant i'm very open to change by the way, I'm like very open to change. I know I'm not right about everything. And I, I know I'm, I've actually historically been wrong about most things in my life, especially when it comes to stuff I'm not familiar with. It became very apparent to me because I wanted another kid. And my wife was like, I don't want another kid. In addition to the three that are already there. No, no, no. Into uh, the okay, third okay, one. Okay. I had to really like work for the third one. I was very aware of the fact somehow, I don't know, good parenting. It, it's not my body. I'm not the one who's going to have to gestate this life for nine months, 10 months. It's really 10 months. I don't know why they say nine months, by the way. Neither do I. <laughs> I don't know why they, it's 40 weeks. I don't know why they say nine months, but we just keep saying nine months like it's right. It's not, it's 10 months. Can we say 10? Let's say 10 months. Let's change the narrative around that. 100%. Let's do the math. It, it's 40 weeks. Yeah. That's 10 months, man. Yeah. So your yeah. wife, when you said you can have a nanny was very happy. Yes, because A, it's actually not that expensive. Listen, if you are working a job where you're getting paid, let's call it, I don't know, $15 an hour and you have to pay a nanny 
$12 an hour or $18 an hour, obviously it's not going to make sense, but she's a business owner and her time is valued differently. So if she goes in and she has a good day, that day could make up for the entire week. So it just made sense. Plus I wanted a happy wife. I don't, you know, happy wife, happy life. I'm not one of those guys, but like happy family, happy life, well-adjusted kids, happy life. I don't want to, you know, I'm, I saw it as like, let me make sure as much as I can that my kids are emotionally taken care of and well-adjusted and feel like they're cared for now when they're developing their personality before they're the age of five so that I'm not dealing with a nightmare 17 year old. 100%. It was an investment. Yeah, we all come with like the judgment of previous generations where many, like the dynamic was different. Many women were caretakers in the past, right? So many women are doing different things now. And I think that there's like this guilt people carry where it's like, if I'm, if I have help, I'm Mm -hmm. a bad parent or I'm not providing the proper kind of love. And so like, that's probably more on us than than anything else, right? It's like that. It's just a guilt that parents carry or feel. And it's like a judgment other parents pass on to, to people that are doing that kind of thing. Yeah. The whole like, the one that, that bothers me the most is when people say like, it's just totally unrelated, but people say it all the time. Like I was hit growing up, like I'm fine. It's like, well, you're, you're, you're actually defending hitting kids. So maybe you're not that fine. <laughs> maybe you're not all right. <laughs> I want to take a plot twist and talk about your sobriety journey. Before you got sober, what was your life like? Oh, it was just like, you know, it was great. I was killing it. (laughs) I was killing it on every level. I just felt like maybe I could save some money and and get, you know, more ripped if I stopped drinking. No, I was was dying. I was literally dying. I was going to die. What what was the, what was the, was it alcohol? Was drugs? What was it? It was literally whatever I could get my hands on or whatever, whoever was around me would let me sniff or eat or whatever. I mean, I think about this all the time. The fact that I never came across heroin or crack when I was out there drinking is a miracle. Because if I, if someone was smoking crack near me and I was drunk, I would have smoked crack. So, 100%. so can you remember the first time where you sort of had an epiphany that this is a problem? I'm not saying you did anything at about that time, but like when was the time where you're like, huh, this is maybe not not what normal people do. And just to you, paint the picture, you guys are a great looking couple, by the way. Oh, your eyebrows are like. But who's better are, looking? Both of you are better looking than the other one. No, 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 no. You can't <laughs> say that. The woman's always better looking. Well, I'm better looking. Uh, I mean, I don't want to. You know. Uh, you think he's? Better I mean. Look- oh my god. He are we getting lost be- in each other's eyes right he now? He thinks he's be- even if yeah. even if the, I wasn't better looking, you still have to say I'm better looking. Listen, I don't want to upset Michael. His hair, his hair is oh, unbelievable. My God. It is Tank. unbelievable. He thinks it's all because of him, though. Well, let me. So, <laughs> <laughs> listen. I'll always take the credit. Plot twist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let me ask you this: Was to yeah. paint a picture? Was this? Were, were you somebody that was using it alone, or was this like a social thing? You're out, and like then you're like when you're out, you're out. No, the whole thing of like drinking alone. If you drink alone, you have a problem. When you're an alcoholic, you're like always drinking alone, even if you're with people, because nobody's really drinking the way you're drinking. So if I'm out with my friends and like they buy the first round or I buy, God forbid, I bought the first round, I was badgering like whoever was next, like, yo, next round. They're like, I'm I'm a quarter of the way through with this one. That's why I never do the first round because you guys are so slow. You don't even don't even know how to drink. I was I could not get the alcohol in my body fast enough. Was how like when did it start being like that? How old were you in high school? 
there's a tradition in the recovery group that I go to where you don't talk about the group publicly. Okay. It's the, it's the big one though. Okay. So I'm not going to name it. Okay. But it's what you're thinking of. Okay. That's where I go. Okay. It's where everyone should go if you have a problem. Okay. They talk about an allergy, right? Which is like, and just simply an abnormal response to an external stimulus. It's not necessarily itchy throat or hives or closing of the throat. It's like the, when I eat food, I get full eventually. When I drank, I got thirstier the more I drank. It was, it was bizarre. Like I couldn't, you, it's, it's impossible to explain. There was zero diminishing return on the liquid I was putting into my body. You could not drink that, that much water. It would be impossible. So the first time I drank, I had six shots of Southern Comfort and six beers. How old? 13. Oh. And my cousins were oh, like, I know. And what, and how, when you're 13, cause you're a big guy, when you're yeah. 13, are you like, I'm pretty big. Yeah. You're, I'm you're like, pretty big. Okay. I'm like 190 or 200 or something. At like 13? That. Yeah. It was big. Fuck man. I know. But I was my, like 115 pounds wet. Yeah. No, I'm 250 now. I'm, I'm huge. Okay. So you, you know? so you were, you could, okay. So I'm just, cause the reason, cause that's a lot of alcohol still. It's way too much. I blacked out the first time I drank. I was a blackout drinker, always blacked out. But my cousins were like, hey, the SoCo is a little harsh. Just drink some beer to chase it down. And I hated the taste of beer. And I took the shot of SoCo and drank the entire beer. After the third shot and the third entire beer, someone was like, you don't have to drink the whole beer with just, every like, just shot. Just chase a little sip. Yeah, just like a little something to wash it down. I was like, oh, okay. I didn't stop. So six shots, six beers, blacked out, 13. I was raised to believe that this was in me though. Like because of my family and the history and alcoholism gallops in my family. It, you know, it's, it's present pretty heavily. So you I'm Irish and German. Like I never happened. Catholic, Irish, German upbringing. Didn't have a shot. No chance. There was an underlining, Guilt, uh, uh, there was an underlining that you like, no one was surprised that you liked alcohol. <laughs> Nobody was surprised. So it wasn't a shocker. My mom was like, here we go. So from 13 to what age were you drinking? So 13, I drank once, scared myself because I was like, this is not good. 14, I drank again. And the way of, uh, your brain works when you're trying to like corral yourself. I remember going to a party and my parents were away in Hawaii and I was like, I went with my cousin to go get drinks for the party. And I was like, it was around the time that Juice was out and like all those, like South Central and all those movies. I was like, I want to get a 40 ounce. Oh, God. And I was like, but a 40 ounce is not enough. So I wanted to get two 40 ounces. And I was like, two 40 ounces is too much. So I got five 22 ounce bottles of liquor, which if you do the math, that's more. Yeah. 110 ounces or whatever. And I drank all of it, blacked out, threw up again. Then I didn't drink again for two years because I was like, I can't, this is like not normal. So I just, I was scared. I started smoking pot around that time because it felt more controllable. Didn't have enough money or resources or time or, you know, ability to smoke pot all the time, but I smoked it whenever I could, but I was always trying to control it. I remember smoking pot at a party one weekend and I was like, I smoked pot this weekend. I think, did I smoke pot last weekend? If I did, I shouldn't smoke again next weekend. Like that's not a normal conversation to have in your head at all. Like I never enjoyed it. I did enjoy the effects of it, but it was always like, this is going to be bad. This is just going to be bad. I know it's going to be bad. 
So when I was 17, I went to my mother and told, this is when I decided, all right, this is it. This is how I drink. This is what it's going to be. I was going out every weekend. I quit the football team so I could drink Friday and Saturday night instead of just Saturday. So you were like strategic with the drinking. Oh, yeah. And when you quit the football team, were you like, were you a good player? Were you, did you have a shot at doing anything else? Like, or is this like... I hated the coaches. So I was, it was more of like a fuck you to the coaches too because okay. they were the worst. They were just bad. I mean, the, the co- I don't, I don't necessarily vibe with coachy type of people anyway. Like, so... You don't say. Yeah. No. <laughs> on all levels. I mean, there are good coaches out there. I just didn't have them. You know, yeah. they just weren't working at Comac High School at that time. So, so you quit. You have your Friday, Saturday nights. Yep. What Blacking out every night I drank. Every single time. Having fun, apparently. Not, not really thinking anything is an issue. But I went to my mother and said, hey, when I drink with my friends, I get 12. They get six. I finish all 12 of mine. And then I, everyone usually has two or three left over. I finish everyone else's too. And she's like, oh boy. This is after my mom telling me I'm going to have a drinking problem since I was like five years old. Do you think because she told you that, that it perpetuated the addiction even more? No. You just think she just was being honest with you? Yeah. She's like, hey, you know, your dad drinks problematically. All his brothers did. His father did. Just be careful. Like it's probably going to, you know, something to keep an eye out for. Same thing I do with my sons. I don't, I explain to them, my 10 year old knows I go to meetings. He knows I don't drink. He knows I used to. He knows my brain and body can't process it properly. It's like, you know, I just don't do it right. My wife is a great example for them. My wife said something. It's the most non-alcoholic thing that I've ever personally witnessed in my entire life. In meetings, everyone laughs about like the, the person that leaves a half a drink behind or even like a sip. Nobody leaves a sip. No alcoholic has ever left a sip anywhere at any point in time, unless they're arrested or something. My wife, we went to Hawaii. We sat down. We had a whole dinner at this restaurant. We finish, eat dessert, check. We were there for our anniversary. We're walking back to our hotel and she goes, oh, I forgot. I wanted to have a cocktail at dinner. And I was like, what the fuck? You you would have never... I, that's the only, it's like, it's, it's equivalent to me going to the restaurant, sitting there for two hours and going, forgot to order dinner. (laughs) Like, it just makes no sense to me whatsoever. So at what point did you have a rock bottom moment or were there multiple rock bottom moments? I mean, it sounds like you were blacking out, but what was the like rock bottom? So there, that's the thing there. Usually when somebody is able to put together long-term sobriety, Typically, there's no like epic moment where they get arrested or they crash their car or like, you know, they say in the book says we're beyond human aid. All those things, getting arrested, going to jail, losing your kids, getting divorced, losing your job, all that stuff. It's all human aid. It's all like stuff that exists here on this plane. So it really doesn't affect you. You don't care. It doesn't matter. So like. They have another saying, normal people will raise their behavior to meet their standards. Alcoholics lower their standards to meet their behaviors. So they'll say like, I'm never going to do that. And then they do that and they go, that's fine. And then they keep lowering it and lowering it and lowering it. So it's a, a bottom for most people in my experience and mine especially is just a slow grinding away of your entire existence until you're not even there anymore. And then you go, okay, do I want to exist or not? 
And I don't mean live. I mean like when your alcoholism or drug addiction is active, you don't really exist as a person. Your alcoholism or addiction is live and thriving and you're just kind of like along for the ride trying to keep up. You don't have ambitions. You don't have a favorite type of music, a favorite movie, goals, dreams, friends, none of that. The only thing that matters is the high or, or whatever your, your fix is. Nicole of The Ring Concierge has been on the podcast twice. We invited her back because she is so freaking smart when it comes to jewelry. Every time I see her, I'm like, I want everything on you. She just sparkles. So I actually have two of their tennis bracelets. I wear them all the time. You've probably seen them on my podcast stories. I have like a really tiny little micro one, and then I have more of a big one. If you're looking to buy yourself a self-gift... Or if you want to get someone in your life who's really important, a piece of jewelry, you have to check them out. She is so amazing because she's giving our audience a special discount. So everyone gets a code for 20% off fine jewelry. So when you make a purchase, all you have to do is use code TSC20 for 20% off fine jewelry. I personally would check out her tennis bracelets and tennis necklaces. I think they're so classy and classic. And they really go with everything. It's something that I'm constantly reaching for because it's simple, but it's also just like got that very much classic twist. And the way she cuts her diamonds is absolutely beautiful. They sparkle so much. If you want to upgrade your jewelry or you want to upgrade maybe your significant other's jewelry, check out the Ring Concierge. So you're going to go to ringconcierge.com and use code tsc 20 for 20% off fine jewelry, this excludes bridal, classic diamond studs, and gift cards. This is a hot tip. Go stalk the Instagram at Ring Concierge and just like screenshot what you want and send it to your significant other. Don't forget to use code TSC20. I'm a fan of nuts. I just feel like a good nut. There's nothing better. And my favorite nut is macadamia nuts. You should know that not all nuts are created equal. When you're choosing macadamia nuts, you're getting all your fatty acids, 20 times more omega-3 than almonds, and better fat composition than olive oil or avocados. This keeps you satisfied, you guys. So people need to know more about macadamia nuts. They like need like the best PR. So it's hard to find good nuts. <laughs> you don't want a bitter taste. You don't want crumbly texture. And the brand and the move is House of Macadamias. They are partnered with over 90 independent farms in South Africa where the nuts are hand-sorted in the world's leading harvesting facility. A lot of people eat almonds, but macadamia nuts are actually where it's at. Like I said, they have all that fatty acid and omegas. They have all different kinds of nuts on their site. They have like a zesty salsa seasoned macadamia nut, but I am just a big fan of the sea salt. There's just like something about a simple sea salt that I'm about. They're vegan, they're keto, they're paleo. And of course, we have a code for you to get your own nuts. They don't ever go on sale, but they're generously giving the Skinny Confidential listeners an exclusive code to get 20% off your first purchase. So take advantage, go get your omegas and visit houseofmacadamias.com slash skinny and use code skinny. Definitely check out the sea salt macadamia nuts. They're the move. Okay, I run bloated. Like, I'm a fucking puffer fish. I just run puffy. I'm perpetually puffy. So one thing I do, though, for my body, especially my stomach, because I feel like it helps so much, is a ray. 
I have been talking about Array, their bloat capsules specifically. I rave about it to all my friends, and I like it because it's natural. It's five herbs and one fruit-based digestive enzyme that targets bloat. And before Array, I was taking a digestive enzyme, but there was no herbs in it. And I feel like the herbs just give it a kick in the ass. So not only do you get the digestive enzyme after a meal, you also get those herbs. And I'm talking herbs like lemon balm for gas prevention. I'm talking herbs like dandelion root for liver health, peppermint, slippery elm, ginger root. I mean, it's just like amazing. And what I'm so impressed by with them is they have this herb called bromelain in it that's actually found in pineapple. And this is an herb that was recommended to me by Dr. Barrett when I got my boobs done because he was like, you need something to help fight the swelling. And Array actually puts this in their bloat capsules. So they know what they're doing, okay? 100% natural. Definitely check out their products. Laxative-free, vegan, non-GMO, gluten-free, filler-free, everything. You're going to go to Array.com. That's A-R-R-A-E.com and use code SKINNY at checkout. You get 15% off your first purchase and a free sleep mini. Go to Array.com and use code SKINNY. So what got you sober or was it a process? There was one day that I drank for the last day, but it wasn't like that much different than any other day. I crashed the car. So when, when I came in, somebody was like, what's the worst thing that ever happened while you were drinking and how soon were you drinking after that? And on New Year's Eve Eve, I went out, got blackout drunk, stole my dad's car, drove it to some girl's house, drove back from her house and crashed it on, a, on the Northern State Parkway. Oh, Jesus. I know. And didn't get it, you know, luckily. Just walked away, no. Walked, put my hand up on the side of the road. The guy who was driving happened to work right around the corner from my parents' house where I was living. And, and I was like, hey, can you, you know, bring me home? He must have smelled the alcohol. He was probably like, this guy just got saved, you know, from a Dewey for sure. I walk in the home. I'm like putting the t tears on. I'm like, oh, I just got into an accident. My mom's like, were you drinking? I was like, no. I, I mean, you think you don't smell, you smell a lot, especially if you drink the way that I drank. So anyway, that night I was drinking. Yeah, after you're drinking like a barrel of whiskey or whatever yeah. to, to get so, you drunk at that point. So the worst thing that ever happened to me drinking was car crashing my car. 12 hours later, I was drinking. There's just no, it's like, ah, this time's going to be different. But you said, you said the last day that I drank, did you go into it being like, this is the last day I'm drinking? And no, then no, 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 no. So it, then how did you end up in recovery? So my mom said... That day when I woke up at whatever it was, two o'clock, three o'clock, she's like, you got to stop drinking today or get out of the house tonight. That's it. And I was like, whoa, she had bothered me before and nagged and like said things. But the, when she put it in those terms, I was like, am I missing something here? Is this like worse than I realize? And how old are you? 21. Okay. 21. And not married, obviously. Yeah. No. Okay. Good relationship. Okay. What? You said girlfriend, so I'm just making sure you weren't married. This is no. Different. I went to. Go, I wasn't a girlfriend. I went to go see some girl. Some girl that like I went to college with. That I happened to have remember the phone number, just like dialing. You know, anybody who would pick up the phone. Who knows? <laughs> Anyone that's answering. Anybody, dude. Anybody. So your mom wakes you up. Yeah, she's waiting in the kitchen. She goes, "You got to stop drinking tonight, or get out of the house tonight." I start to see, and maybe there's a piece of this puzzle that I'm missing. Then I did some quick math and I realized how people become homeless, like in that instant. Cause I literally thought people were just born 38 years old, homeless on the street. I didn't understand how it happened. And I was like, wait, okay, so I'm 21. 
I could go live at my friend Chris's house with his parents for realistically maybe a week. His parents would probably kick me out because like I'll do the same thing there. Then maybe I could go to my friend Steve's house. I get maybe three days there because his parents are actually stricter. Maybe I have enough for a night at a hotel, possibly. Then I'm in my car. By the way, once you're in your car, you're homeless. People like, you know, I'm living in my car, man. Like, it's cool. No, you're homeless. It's not cool. Then once your car goes, because you can't pay that, then you're literally sleeping on concrete. And I was like, oh my God, I would be homeless for sure. There's no doubt in my mind. In a month, it was about that. So I went to a meeting that night, was met with like this feeling of everything that I was looking for before drinking, using, trying to surround myself with people that like, just trying to get that feeling of being understood. Because when you, so like, it's a very uniquely alcoholic experience, I think, to drink for the first time and go, ah, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life <laughs> to feel comfortable. This is the best day of my life. My wife, I guarantee you, does not remember the first time she drank. There's no chance. I do. It was like the sound of a key going into a door and opening it. And then your whole life is like, oh, now my skin fits my body. This is great. And you had the same feeling when you walked into this community. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like, they just know you're new. They go, that guy's <laughs> he looks like shit. Yeah. He looks bad. He's shaking. He's nervous. He doesn't know anybody. He's looking around like this. So somebody comes up to you, they say, hey, how's it going? I'm so-and-so. And, you know, are you new here? Is it your first time? They're just, because when you get into a 12-step program of any sort, I went to the one for alcohol. Obviously, it's going to sound dramatic, but it really is. It's life or death. It's not like, oh, that guy, I don't like that guy's shoes or whatever. Or he's wearing a, a, a Trump shirt. Like, don't, you know, don't help him. He's like, we don't, we don't like that kind of stuff here. It's like, Whatever you think you like, it, nothing matters except for the fact that I'm an alcoholic. You're an alcoholic. I don't want to die. You don't want to die. Let's figure it out. Uh, we have many friends in recovery and we've had many conversations like this on the show over the years about recovery. And, and I think like, there's a common theme where people that are in the program or in recovery, they, to your point, you kind of feel like you're naturally in your skin when you start using and then you don't, you're doing it constantly to feel that way. And then when you get to this program, you feel like, oh, people, I can actually finally be myself and people finally actually understand what it's like to live like this. Yeah. And it's much more like from the outside, it's to your point, your wife could never relate to, to this kind of feeling or this kind of way of thinking. But all of a sudden you're in this community where people fully get it and they accept, okay, like you're a human being. This is how you operate, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, there's something very comforting on a soul level to speaking your innermost, darkest thoughts and emotions and feelings and, and looking around and seeing everyone go like this. Oh, yeah, yeah I, I, I understand that. Because you don't like the-, the like They've the, had similar thoughts and feelings. Of course. The, the comfort you get from alcohol, completely artificial, you didn't do anything to earn it and it leaves. And when it leaves, you actually feel worse. So the comfort you get from recovery is not on demand. It's not as extreme and it's not as euphoric, but it's long lasting. You earned it and it's more genuine. That's the, you know, that's the only way I can put it. Like, it's not a high. It's more of like a, it's like a buzz, I guess. Like I never had a buzz ever in my entire life. I went from sober to blackout drunk every single time. Wow. I do not even know what a buzz feels like. 
Like you never got to the point where you're like, here's one or two drinks and you're feeling good. For it. <laughs> it was like, dude, it, it was right past that I right away. Literally never had one or two drinks in my entire life. Because by the time I would start drinking, I was already six drinks deep in my brain. I had to catch up to my brain physically. And then it was like, once the physical, once you start getting the alcohol in the, in the body, the, the liver, the brain can't process it fast enough. You can't put enough of a physical substance in a body with a spiritual hole in it to fix whatever problem there is. Just doesn't work. So how do you go from an undateable, unemployable, overweight smoker and alcoholic to a happily, Loser. happily married entrepreneur, bodybuilder, and non-smoker who's been sober for 14 years? And those are your words, not mine. 20 years. Oh, here it says. That's an old bio, huh? That's an old bio. That's the one I sent you. That's my fault. What are you going to do? 20 years. I just celebrated 20 years. 20 years is a long time. Good for you. That's That's awesome. Good for you. I was nervous about 20 years. Why? Why? Nervous that it's like that milestone was going to like. Yeah. It just feels made up. It feels fake. It feels like something people say when they're lying. You know? Like if I got pulled over last year and a cop was like, have you been drinking? And I go, no, I've been sober 19 years. He goes, all right, good job, man. Take care. You know, excellent. If I get pulled over today and he goes, are you drinking? I go, no, I've been sober 20 years. He's like, all right, get out of the car. Let's talk about what you're, don't start lying to me. I feel like that's maybe a narrative. I don't think that's true. I'm making it up for sure. You're making that up. There's a lot. It's rattling around in the brain. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 It's not real. It's not real. I'm not cured. I'm still insane. I'm still like, my brain is still you know, still going. It's just more manageable. Isn't that dangerous though? When like, again, we had these conversations when former addicts say they're cured. Oh yeah. Like that's no, if you ever say you're cured, clock is ticking for you. What do you think about if, if, and this is your perspective. What do you think about if you're an addict and you're in recovery and you start using psychedelics or ayahuasca? Like, I'm actually curious about that because I've heard complete different opinions on this. I'm hearing people say you can use ayahuasca and psychedelics. And like I said, this is your opinion. This is not like we're not giving anyone advice here. Well, my opinion is correct. Let's start with that. Okay. Yes. It's the right one. So what is that? Around the 16 or 17 year mark, I think, Bill Wilson, who's the founder of the program, with along with Dr. Bob started experimenting with LSD, which at the time was, they didn't know like what it was, but Bill Wilson was a maniac. Bill Wilson was like a womanizer, egomaniac, crazy person who wanted to make this program. Like he wanted it to make him a billionaire and he wanted to be like, you know, his, he wanted, he wanted his name on buildings. Like he, that's the kind of guy he was. Dr. Bob was more like, Hey bro, relax. It's not about you. It's about us and the people were, trying to help. So anyway, he was experimenting with LSD and I, around the 16 or 17 year mark, especially when all these people started talking about DMT and psilocybin and, you know, MDMA, Michael Pollan. My opinion is that that narrative for addicts, especially is very dangerous, super dangerous. Do you feel because it opens up the gateway for like, Hey, there's exceptions. There's things that you can maybe do that don't fall into Substance abuse. Well, because you have the reason you're probably looking to do that. And thank God, Michael Pollan, at the end of the Tim Ferriss podcast that I listened to, said what he said. He goes, I should note that they did brain scans of people who did whatever it was, three treatments of psilocybin 
and brain scans of people who meditated regularly and they were identical. I was like, the fuck? Maybe dude? you should have said that in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, he made me wait an hour and a half and sweat the entire time like to get that information. So again, if you have an internal problem, a spiritual condition that is not comfortable to you, an on-demand solution that requires little to no effort from you is not good for an addict or an alcoholic. I know five people in recovery who have done psychedelics as a way to increase their spiritual awareness, which is, again, a great motive, but the outcome has been a relapse 100% of the time. Wow. So I'm not saying that's going to be it for everybody, but... In your experience, that's the, that's what you've seen. I've had you know, psychedelic experiences with acupuncture, breathing, Reiki healing, this woman I went to with as a Reiki healer, like I was a five-year-old kid again. And when I left her, I put my feet on the ground outside of her apartment and it was like my feet were touching the floor for the first time. No drugs involved. So there are ways to do it that are not compromising your integrity when it comes to drug use. You're using an external solution to an internal problem. It's not going to work. Isn't it so crazy that... In my opinion. One of the things that can that help you so much is free and you literally have to sit there and do nothing and just meditate. Yeah. But 99% of people won't do it. They won't sit there and just sit with themselves because it's 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 nerve wracking and it or they can't do it or they're bored. You just have to sit with yourself in silence yeah. to solve so many of your problems and people won't do it. Well, because if you take psilocybin or LSD or MDMA, it's going to work then when you take it. If you meditate, you might meditate for two weeks and then all of a sudden two weeks from then you'll handle a situation completely differently than you would have and you might not connect the dots. But the more you do it, the more compound interest, I guess, you'll have on your effort. And all of a sudden, you're handling life completely differently. You're seeing life completely differently. And you are acting like a different person. And that's really what you want. You don't want to like, my friend who I just got into a debate with about this, I, I finally called him out on something that I had been harboring for a little bit. So he told me about this journey he went on with this shaman and psilocybin and it changed his life and blah, blah, blah. And he's telling me I should do it. And I was like, bro, I can't do it. It's not, you know, it's not for me. It's just, I prefer other ways to get that result you're talking about. He's like, yeah, but you don't need to worry. It's not like the, it's not a, the kind of thing like you want to go back and do right away. It's not like, it, it, there's no addictive problems with it. I was like, all right, whatever. Two minutes later in the conversation, he's like, so I have another appointment scheduled three weeks from now. Same shaman, same deal. I was like, dude. You just said it. You did th when I've also noticed that with ayahuasca too. Someone will say, I had this amazing, profound experience. And what I've realized is, is sometimes it's not even an addiction to, to the plant or the drug. It's an addiction to the story that they can tell afterwards. Oh, There's an identity yeah. situation well, going on. And we live in Austin, Texas now. So you can't go outside without someone popping out of the bushes telling you they're a shaman. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? just like, what the, like everybody's on this shit out there. And it's like, everyone's got life's answers now figured out. To your point, I think it's difficult when somebody who maybe is not an addict says that to someone who has an, a problem with, with substances, because yeah. like that may be your experience as someone who's not addicted to substances. But to say that to somebody who may have that kind of 
issue, like that's irresponsible to say because he doesn't know that you wouldn't go and do that and then go on a full, you know, ayahuasca bender or whatever the hell it is. Yeah. And the, the catch 22 is that the people who don't have addictive personalities or uneasiness about them or anxiety are probably not looking to do ayahuasca anyway. They're good. They can watch one episode of Dr. Phil and their life is fixed. They got it now. You know what I mean? They don't need a crazy, intense psychedelic trip. There's so, there, there is always work to be done on a daily basis. I'm watching this documentary right now with, that Jonah Hill did with his therapist. Have you seen no. this? No. Jonah, I don't know you. Sorry. He's a big listener. Is he? Yeah, big one. The movie is a little boring for, I think, normal people. But for me, who's super into self-development and therapy, I was glued to the screen the entire time. And his, his therapist, Stutz, talks about, same thing my therapist talks about. That's why his therapist actually kind of reminds me of my therapist. He's thin, older, bald, little goatee, whatever. He says there's three things that are constant in life, something like that. I just watched last night. I can't remember. Pain, something else, and constant work. That's what my therapist says. And he goes, the sooner you can learn to fall in love with the constant work, the better off you'll be. People who are looking for an eight-hour experience to, to relieve them of having to do the work, that you're missing the point. That doesn't relieve you of doing the work. You have to, sure, if you're going to use that as a tool to open up your mind and soul and whatever, then you're going to take that and you're going to you know, start meditating and start reading and praying and you know, being kinder to people and all that stuff all day, every day, great. But you could also do all that stuff without going to Mexico. You could. It's possible. And you'll get similar results. Or without going to the bushes in Austin, Texas. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah. jumping out of the bushes and yelling at everybody. So actually, <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. Is like a lot of these people become very self-righteous about this stuff. They almost tell you like you can't be a real human unless you figure out, you know, what the plants have to offer. Yeah. Like that kind of drives me nuts. Yeah. So along, <laughs> just that's, that's a side tangent. While you're going through all this, at what point do you start? I mean, because you, I feel like I've seen you... I mean, maybe that's just because I'm old now too, but I feel like I've seen you for at least a decade. Maybe not. Maybe that's like dating. But like, I feel yeah. like you were one of the very first people creating this type of content online. And like, obviously you've extrapolated that into a million other things. But like, when did you, when along this journey did you say like, okay, like this is going to be something that I'm going to dive into? First of all, you're not even that off about it being a decade and that. Well, that's because that I feel like we've bit. been around. Yeah. Like, yeah. 2015, it's, it's almost eight years now. Yeah. Ugh. Well, great. Cool. <laughs> I guess. When I started, I thought I was late to the game. Like I, the fat Jewish was already going. Fuck Jerry was already going. Girl with no job. Daddy issues. I was like, they, they already exist. What am I going to do? You know? But I had been making memes on Reddit since 2009. You were doing, you were like, you were creating digital content just on different platforms. How does yeah. one like make a meme though? How do you wake up one day and th say, I'm going to make a meme? You look at memes all the time. Okay. And then you go, I could do better than that. So that's wow. basically as simple as So the it creation is. process, like, so there's an image going around. Someone yep. adds their commentary to it. You look at it like, I can, I can update and do that commentary in my own voice and do it better. Yeah. So, so the, one of my I'm first memes that ever hit the front page of Reddit was there used, there was this cat reading a newspaper. Okay. Do you know the image? Yeah. yeah. So it's the, the first one He's just, he's saying I should buy a boat. Nobody, I don't, nobody knows why. The internet doesn't need to make any sense to anybody, by the way. So he's saying, I should buy a boat. Then there was all these different pro proliferations of that meme. Then when Obama ran against Mitt Romney 
in 2008? Yep. Oh, no, 2012? Oh, because when it's second term. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I guess it was- Because his first term was 2008, yeah. I guess it was 2012. So there was a picture of Mitt Romney sitting there reading a newspaper and he's rich, but he lost. So I wrote, I should just buy the country. And that went absolutely berserk. And I was like, oh my God, it's on the front page. I, I, me, I made the front page. It's a good feeling seeing people resonate. It's interesting though what you do because it's kind of like a high. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, to have that go viral is a high. Oh, but life is never better than when you're going viral or when your pages are all banging. (laughs) You guys have a good episode up. Life is just better. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's nothing worse than when you have a dud and you're like, oh, God. God. Like the whole thing sucks. All 550 episodes, just throw them in the trash. (laughs) This is what he does. He'll fucking spiral and I'll do what your wife does and I just don't speak. Yeah. I'm just like, there's no. I'm like, oh my God, the show's in the tank. Yeah. Get rid of it. Just shut it down. Dear stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Dear sucks. (laughs) I I have done stand up comedy, which I didn't love doing. I didn't get, I guess it's a, I, I guess to bring it back to addiction, it's like some people do pills and they don't like them, but they still, like, I, I never got into like Vicodin or, or anything because I just didn't like the high that it gave me. I loved cocaine and smoking weed and ecstasy. And I even like Valium, like a 1960s housewife for some reason. I don't know how I got so into where even where found it and drinking, loved drinking, but I didn't get the same high that I assume other people who dive headfirst into comedy get when they get a laugh on stage. I get a high when I post something and I see it go nuts. Hands down, one of the best delivery situations for meals is Saqqara. If you are looking for science-backed, plant-rich nutrition, this is it. It comes right to your door. I don't know a lot of meal delivery services that are super healthy. They have these like ready to eat meals. I get them sent to the office and they're so nutritionally dense. They really, really care about ingredients. So if you're looking to like manage your weight, you just had a baby, you want more energy, you want to ease bloat, you want clearer skin, Saqqara is hitting all the things. I buy their detox drops, which are chlorophyll drops and their beauty drops. And I just like sex up my water in the morning. I'll take a huge Stanley mug, put a ton of ice in there, put my chlorophyll drops in, put my beauty water drops in, put some lemon, some ginger, some mint, stuff it in there. And I have this beautiful water full of minerals and just nutrients. And I think that a lot of people are drinking just plain water. Why drink plain water when you can take it up a notch? So I get their little tinctures. They're incredible. They're also so cute. I travel with them. I actually have them right now in LA. I highly recommend them. So you're going to go on and you're going to check out their incredible organic meals and also go to their wellness section. Right now, Sakara is offering all Skinny Confidential him and her listeners 20% off your first order you're going to go to sakaracom slash skinny or enter code skinny at checkout. That's Sakara S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash skinny to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash skinny. I feel like we're so focused on what we eat and what our kids eat, but we're not focused enough on what our dogs eat. So enter Sundays. It's a healthy dog food. It's really easy to store. It's really easy to serve. But most importantly, it's USDA beef and all-natural chicken 
And they also have digestive aids in it, like pumpkin and ginger. This is amazing for me because before this brand, I was like putting pumpkin and ginger slices in my dog's food. I'm not joking. So to have this all in one with Sundays is incredible. Dog parents have reported noticeable health improvements. So what they noticed is softer fur, fresher breath, and better poops. So Sundays is zero prep, zero mess, and zero stress. I make Michael feed the dogs. (laughs) And while I watch him, he tells me it's the easiest thing ever. This is quality food. It ships right to your door. You never have to worry about running out and getting dog food. And it costs 40% less than other healthy dog foods because it doesn't waste money on shipping frozen packages. Okay, so if you want the best all-natural ingredients for your pup, you are going to go to sundaysfordogs.com skinny. Of course, we have a special deal for you guys, for all our dog-loving listeners, which I think are a lot. You're going to get 35% off your first order of Sundays. Go to sundaysfordogs.com skinny or use code skinny at checkout. That's S-U-N-D-A-Y-S-F-O-R-D-O-G-S.com forward slash skinny. Upgrade your pup to Sundays and feel good about the food you feed your dog. Nutrafol. They have the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplements. But here's what I notice. I necessarily wasn't like having hair thinning. I was having hair shedding. So every time I would get a blowout or get out of the shower, I noticed that there was like hair on my silk pillowcase. So enter Nutrafol. This has been recommended to me by so many celebrity hairstylists, friends, influencers, all the things. And basically what Nutrafol does is it supports healthy hair growth. And they're amazing because they target the five root causes of thinning. And those, I have learned, are stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, and metabolism. So it's working on all cylinders, which I appreciate. It's an all-natural supplement, too. If I'm going to be taking something every day, I'm about this. It's drug-free, medical-grade, and 86% of women who took this, reported hair growth after six months. I noticed my hair is so much thicker. I can't even tell you. Do your inversion therapy. Don't think I'm crazy. Do your scalp massage and take your Nutrafol. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support the Skinny Confidential Him and Her Show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code SKINNYHAIR. You get to save $15 off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. You're going to get free shipping on every order, too. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code SKINNYHAIR. I'm telling you, this is the move. What do you do when you're creating this page? It starts to get a lot of attention. You're going viral. And then you see all these people, these trolls who are copying your content and ripping you off. Those people aren't trolls. Those are just like shitty people. Trolls. Uh, when I think of trolls, I think of people who are like actively trying to make my life worse okay. by pointing out a flaw in me. Great example, when I started Influencers in the Wild, I had enough thick skin at this point to not take this seriously. It was actually comical. So Tank Sinatra, completely unprepared for people disliking me. Did not know how to handle it. Took everything personally. When in, in you mean when the person behind tanks or not? Like so, I can't remember when did when was it that you actually started showcasing your physical self as opposed to just the memes? So I had like thirty thousand followers on Tank Sinatra when I posted the first picture of myself, and I I remember I said to my wife, I'm like, I feel like this page isn't even my own anymore, because before memes, it was me 
posting like shirtless bodybuilding selfies and workout stuff. So that was me. And then once I started posting memes, this is one thing that I, I find funny because I did um, Ed Milet's podcast. Love it. And we were talking about, he's like, so tell me about the journey from zero to 10 million. And I was like, it's not from zero. It's like you start from 187 and then you post a couple of memes and it goes down to 174. And it's like, what the hell? Why am I losing followers? Your aunt unfollowed you. Your cousin's wife unfollowed you. Kid you went to high school with unfollowed you. They're like, what are you trying to be a meme account now? Uh, yeah, I guess. I don't know. What's, is there a problem? And then it's like, you, you know, these people who followed you for you, you try and switch and they don't like it. So it's like they, they rail against it. Then you got to start over again. Then you build it up and then you show your face and people who came to know your page is one thing. Then you show your face and they're like, what the hell is this face doing on my meme page account? It's like, it's my account, dickhead. What do you mean? That's why I'm, I'm showing you that I'm a person. We don't care. We don't want to see your stupid face. Post memes. Well, no. So I lost five or 700 followers out of 30,000, which was a lot at the time. Now I lose... I don't know what the hell, you know, 2,000, 3,000 a day and gain four or 5,000 a day. Really? It's wild. Yeah. There's just like this constant people like coming in and they thinking it's one page and then it's not. And like they, they fail to recognize that it's like it, it's it, there's a person behind the memes. And or they, they get they bored be, of it yeah. or, you know. So they, you weren't prepared when you put your face out there to hear what people have to say about the way you look, the oh, way yeah. you are. Oh, yeah. I knew it. I knew it was going to be a problem. But I didn't care. It was me like cutting the fat. I was like, if you're, if you don't like the fact that I exist, I don't really want you here anyway. You were going to bounce eventually anyway. So I knew it was going to be painful, but I knew I had to do it. And then I started doing, you know, the videos and Tank's Good News. Talk about Tank's Good News for a minute. What was the motivation behind it? Because I remember when you did that, I was like, oh, this is like, and I think you, you did it at a time also when there was a ton of bad news, which oh, there, yeah. there is still consistently. <laughs> but what was the motivation? <laughs> I mean, it, the motivation was, what the fuck? <laughs> like, All right, enough. next question. No, yeah, kidding. no, like enough already. Yeah. Enough. With dude. the bombardment of just like negative enough. shit. Enough. Do we, like, if an alien came to Earth and they were like, what is this media you talk about? They would think, oh, it's a system designed to keep people in constant fear and anxiety. But, but then why does everyone have it on in the background in their house? Like, I don't because they can't turn you, away. I think though that the news doesn't isn't the one that needs to take the accountability. I think it's the people. Of course, but it's not even us. So it, it all goes back. This is one of my favorite facts of all time. I'm not a big fact guy. I like, think we've ever had anyone come on and be like, just not a big fact guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a, I don't like facts too much. Me, more of an opinion guy. No, I'm not like one of those like tidbit dudes who's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. did you, like Neil deGrasse Tyson, did you know that if you rub your finger across, shut up. So, poor Neil. I know, I'm sorry. I make fun of him on the Meme Daddies podcast all the time. That it's was one a of good like impression my, too. My favorite things to do. We love him, but we love making fun of him more. I was playing Trivial Pursuit with my family as a child. And the answer, Trivial Pursuit, they give you the answer, then you have to guess the question. It's like Jeopardy, but like not. So the answer was when this happened on this date, whatever it was, 1971, it would change the way that news was reported forever. And my dad goes, that was when Roger Grimsby told a joke for the first time on the news. And they flipped it around and it was that. Roger Grimsby 
and Bill Butel lightened up the news. Because news before that was dead serious. Facts only. Not my style. So <laughs> there used to be no advertisements during news. It was like a state-sponsored thing. You couldn't buy a commercial during it. It was just to get information out to people. Then they made this joke and everyone was like, whoa, is this going to be fun? And from that point forward, it became a zoo circus. Who can keep people entertained the most? Then I went to 24-hour news. How can we keep this going 24 hours a day? And now it's at the point where if people are not glued to their TVs all the time, or at least have it on in the background, then these companies are losing money. What they figured out is that people don't even know that they're programmed literally to stay alive first and foremost. And the number one thing you have to find if you want to stay alive and identify is threats. So just because there's a threat somewhere in another country, your brain doesn't care about it's that. It's like saber-toothed tiger. Yes. Your brain doesn't care that there's a saber-toothed tiger in in Africa. But it's I, might as well be here when, now. When you're, Michael's parents like love your parents, but when I go to their house, they have the news on the entire time I'm there. And I, well, the, I think a lot of that generation does. I just right? can't believe, though, the whole time it's like you're just pumping cortisol into your veins. Oh, yeah. It, it's almost be, the news almost becomes addicting to get that cortisol rush all the time. Yeah. I am like, turn it off. I don't want it anywhere near me. But then again, we probably get it on social media and we can't help it. Well, it depends on who you follow. So, right. You know, who Shane Gillis is the comedian. No, no. I won't ruin his bit, but it, the the gist of it is basically he's got a Fox News dad. He's like, it's a good dad. Like, you don't want a Fox News mom. You want a Fox News dad. He goes, my dad watches Fox News every night until he just can't anymore. <laughs> he'll wake up. He'll sit up and go, ah, oh, fuck, I can't. You know, the Mr. Potato Head is trans <laughs> now. I can't even watch this anymore. <laughs> it is literally just a fire drill all the time. And what they figured out is that if you create a visceral reaction in somebody, they'll stay tuned. But what I planned on and hoped for was that if you create a visceral reaction in people on the opposite direction, they'll stay tuned and they'll keep coming back. So if you make somebody cry tears of joy or feel hope or inspiration or see themselves in a hero story, even though they've never been in that position, they go, I would like to think I would do that in that situation. Then They'll go, have you seen this page? This, this is like incredible. It's all the good stuff that happened today. There's so much good that happens. You have 10% of life in my wildly rough estimation that's incredible. Graduating high school, prom, having kids, getting married, being on the Skinny Confidential podcast, winning a million dollars in the lottery. It's so small. Then you have the other 10%, which is like losing a parent, getting in a car accident, horrific. The other 80% is what you make it by your perspective. And my goal was to just get people to say, oh, I'm not going to scroll past that thing. I'm going to try and see it a little differently or at least glue yourself to the news that's scaring the shit out of you, but veer off a little lit, a little bit once in a while to say it's not all bad. Because if you watch the news, it is all bad. You'd think the world is, you know. Yeah, there's nothing good being reported. And if it is, it's a sliver of the programming. And then back to bad news. Yeah, back to bad news. How do you manage all these different things? You've got Tank's Good News. You've got Tank Sinatra and Influencers in the Wild. How are you managing all these pages? Are you actually doing it yourself? Yeah, a lot. That's a lot. Big deep breath. Yeah. So there's not like a huge team behind you. No, I was sure that 
it was none of it was going to work, first of all. Then I was sure that maybe some of it would work and some of it would not work. And I wanted to just keep piling stuff on top of stuff on top of stuff so that like eventually when one thing died, I would be left with some other stuff. And none of, you know, none of that happened. It all just kept working. If I'm taking a selfie in the bathroom, getting the good light and yeah. Michael videos me, can I be featured on Influencers in the Wild? Because I haven't been featured on it and I, I'm a little sad about it. We can figure something out. We got to make it look real, though. Like, no, no, no. We, we, he'll do it real. Like how I. Well, what do you mean? There's a million like things that I could get me. from her actually doing that stuff in the wild. She gets. She just. Yeah. Oh yeah, do it. Yeah, I'm going sure. to. I'm going to start submitting stuff to you. I'm going to start. I, I, I have, haven't been featured. I have all the stuff. No, yeah. No one's ever featured me. Yeah, listen. We don't need to fabricate this. This is. She is an influencer in the wild doing. No, this but shit I'm regularly. not like the normal ones that you post where the boyfriend or husband's taking a picture. My husband won't take a picture if his life fucking <laughs> depends on it. I'm the one that's like has to like hold my arm out myself to get my own picture yeah we had a deal early on where i'm like i'm not doing he any doesn't of that do stuff shit that's good no. through that boundary yeah no, he literally- real, really early I, honestly and i throw such a fit about any even if it's a sim just because i want to really set the level that like this ain't for on me on the day my yeah. son was born he wouldn't even take a picture of me really <laughs> like, no i can't yeah set he the rule slippery slope uh, unbelievable i pushed a nine pound baby out and i go could you take a picture of me and he's well, like listen, oh my god i can't take a picture of you no shade but we see these <laughs> <laughs> no shade but we see like you know I, we have friends that do this kind of and i see the husbands and they got the big camera strap around them and they're running and they got the phone and they got another lanyard with another camera and they're chasing their wife in the middle of the street i'm like fuck that that ain't for me no yeah. no way so Not can we do it. like a different plot twist on influencers in the wild where I all of a sudden that somebody content. that studied chemical engineering is a full-time photographer i'm like no 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 buddy. yeah no, yeah no, no. everyone's a photographer now that's no, no. the thing when i first started that page anybody taking a picture anywhere would go viral anybody <laughs> Now, anybody taking a picture anywhere, what do you mean by that? Like, if it was just a person in the street taking a picture of themselves and somebody happened to capture it, people were like, Oh my God, this is so crazy. They're everywhere. Now they're so bloodthirsty. If it's not a girl with a G string twerking with seven three year olds standing behind her, okay, like they're like, She's just taking a picture. They're just taking a picture. This is, I actually no. wanted to ask you this about memes and with influencers in the wild. There, yeah. There's this thing, experience stretching. Like you, you, th- yeah. right. It's like your, your profession is, your audience is constantly experiencing stretching. So after now we see twerking, there's 50 people taking a photo. They're on the ground. They're like, when is it like, it's going to get bigger than that even. They're going to expect more and more and fun and more funny and more funny. How do you deal with that? I don't care what they want. <laughs> I, I truly don't. People started giving me a hard time because there was so many women on the page. There was this whole thing going around. My TikTok account got banned, by the way, because I guess people mass reported it. People are, you guys know, they're insane and annoying and <laughs> bored. And like they interpret things in the worst way they possibly can. Bad faith interpretations. I shared some fiction books I liked the other day that I, I personally like and have read. Yeah. And admittedly, like there was from male authors, but I just, these are books that I had read and that I wanted to recommend. Admittedly, to. like it's a problem, <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. But, but no, like they were male. Women can't write. 
Everyone knows that. Well, this is what I was trying to point out. No, but but but, oh. but you would be. I got all these DMs. No female authors. I'm like, listen, these are just books I fucking like. I don't know. Like it wasn't. It wasn't some like political oh, statement. This is just books I'm recommending to people. Asked. They said, "What are you reading?" I said, "This is what I like." And then I got you. And I'm like, you know what? Just go the fuck away. I don't care. Yeah. I'm not open for feedback. I don't care if you don't like it. Go somewhere else. Yeah. Don't read the books. Yeah. Don't. I don't care. Sein- think, I don't care if you don't read Lonesome Dove. I don't give a shit. I'm just saying I liked it. Seinfeld, when he was challenged on his uh, his diversity and casting for comedians in cars getting coffee, he was like, "What? This is not meant to be a an accurate in- cross section of American fuck demographics. This is these are my friends. Yeah. What are we doing here? Like I I don't it's, I don't. It can be performative. Performative." Oh, dude, what what happened the other day? I can't even, I don't even remember what it was. I told Adam about this. He lost it. I actually just saw it. I watched, there's an episode of our podcast coming up and we start off and I forget what the video was, but it's, it's some girl goes, this is giving performative kink shaming. What the fuck are you talking about? Do you even know? The girl's like 21 years old. This is giving like, I, I, I literally put down my phone for like two minutes, which is a long time. And then I picked it right back up. I was like, I need a, I need a break. You got to meditate between yeah. that. That's yeah. a meditation vibe. Yeah. What did, what are you trying to say? Well, if you have no. to, if you tell me you're offended by something that I don't even know exists and then I, you know what I mean? Like I can't, I can't address it if I don't even know that. Like, if you tell me right now that I said something that's performative king shaming, I would have to go on Google <laughs> and Wikipedia and look up and see what it even means to begin to address it. I also, don't, I don't yeah. know. If we were I'm to sorry. look at, there's, there's so many different triggers in the world. If, if, and I say this a lot. If I'm offended by something, it's a me problem. I need to work on myself. Not, it's not someone else's problem if they trigger me. Well, do you, you guys know Ryan Holiday? Sure. Yeah. 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 So, Ryan. Yeah, he's the best. He's he posts constantly this quote. I forget who it's from, but like realize that if you're offended by something, you are complicit in the offense. Like you're sorry. I don't know how else to tell you that. No, you can't. Then then people have to take personal accountability. Big problem. I posted something on Tanks Good News. I'm going to start doing more video because I like I the, the more I'm in this game, the less I care about what people think. And I just get a little belligerent and I'm like, you guys don't want to see my face. Get ready to see so much more of my face. Ooh, that, that's what I happens. Like that. I yeah. think um, you know, you s- we we get this question a lot, and like we've been doing this a long time. And I think to your, it's a hundred percent. What happens is, in the beginning, you you know, before you've created for a while, you get a little pushback. Like, oh, did I like say something that people are like? And then you go a little more and a little more, and eventually you realize that no matter what you say and no matter what you do, someone somewhere is going to be pissed off, irritated, mad, unfollowed. And you realize like this is a zero sum game. You just got to be yourself and do what you want because if you try to go into this and appease everybody constantly, it's just, it's not, it's impossible. It will not work. What I just said just now, it was pissed someone off. Someone is throwing their phone across their car or across their room mad about what I'm saying at this moment. I'm furious. Yeah. <laughs> what? I cannot believe you just said but that. It's, but so the point is, is like you just get into it and it's like, I feel like these people that go on these massive apology tours for things they're not actually sorry for, they don't even understand what, how they offended somebody. Like those are the most problematic people because they open the doorway for people to, to constantly worry about what they're saying. Well, I hope, I, I believe at some point, I've been, I'm 42 years old, so I've seen some things come and go. I saw the Atkins diet come and go. I, I saw the zone diet come and go veganism, you know, trend. I don't think that's gone yet, but 
well, it's it's not what it was. When People it, are starting to question things. Yeah, which you should. People are starting to understand aminos a little more. But anyway, we can go on. Yeah, truly believe that at some point there's going to be some kind of reckoning for the people who have made a career out of ruining other people's lives. And I don't think it's going to go well for them. I really don't. 100% the pendulum's going to swing. Yeah. And by the way, if you're wasting your whole energy thermometer every single day on worrying about what everyone else is doing and thinking, you're just taking away from yourself. You're hurting yourself. It's happening right now to a lot of, I mean, maybe people don't realize, to a lot of people that have made their careers in traditional journalism, but have taken the the road of trying to tear down people in with those pieces. Gets clicks. It gets clicks. But what's yeah. happening to them is they're starting to develop these toxic, not relationship, but these reputations. Yeah. Where people are now saying like, okay, you're the person that only tears people down. And like, there's, you, there's only so far you can take it where one, people stop taking you seriously because like, okay, if your, thing, your thing is just yeah. to always tear people down. And then it's like, where do you take that from there? It's like, you're, you're, you're just creating a bubble of negativity around you. And people, over time, people don't want to be surrounded by that. No. Yeah, you can. It's not... There's no way to make that into a career. It's hot right now. It's great right now. Big business right now to tear people down. But I refuse to believe on a macro scale that everyone has their life so in order that like I, the video that I posted on Tanks Good News was like there's got to be some kind of statute of limitations established at some point for how far back in time we're willing to go to get upset about something. I saw people were upset about Ace Ventura because it had transphobic jokes. Fucking they're Einhorn they're is a man, up John dude. Wayne. John, John Wayne doesn't give a fuck he's about been, you. He's been dead for what, 50 years? And that's how, listen, I understand that people, if there's a problem that was illustrated in a movie or a, a story or whatever back then that's still going on today, let's address its current iteration. Let's do that. Let's address racism now, homophobia now, transphobia now. Let's address it now. Let's not bring up Ace Ventura. What are you bringing up Ace Ventura for? There's plenty of issues right now that need to be dealt with today that we don't need to time travel and go back and dig in the crates for things that, I mean, literally people have forgotten about. And aside from that, I have plenty of work to do on myself. I, don't, I can't get into other people's issues, but it is so much easier to say, look how messed up this person is. Look, look at, look at them. I don't want to look at myself. That takes like it's gossiping on a mass mass scale. Yeah, great point. It's gossiping. Gossip's on a, fun too. Gossip's fun. I get it. Like we gossip sometimes on this podcast about pop culture, but like, at what point does it like it? This blame, blame, blame is, it's, it's pointing the finger away from yourself. <laughs> Well, I mean, like, imagine going through life and no, you're I sitting know. there and all of a sudden one day you're like, you know what? Fuck John Wayne. I am pissed. Like, yeah, who like, said that? Like, who, who's the like, What are we doing? We're digging up these old dead actors from 80 years ago. There was a, do you guys know the Reductress account? Mm -mm. Yeah. It's fucking great. I don't it. know if this who it was. It may have been The Onion or whatever, but the headline was, was Hitler a Nazi? What? Like, yes, obviously. But it was like an investigative piece. Like, they're going to find out if, if he was problematic. He was kind of like in charge of the whole thing. It wasn't real. It was a joke. It was a joke. Yeah, got like it, saying it, like, was Hitler a Nazi? Let's find out and like got it. It was just cancel a, him. A play on, yeah, got yes, it. Yes, like, yeah. It's just he basically was, highlighting showing like, how, crazy how absurd we've gotten. Oh, yeah. You have done <laughs> such a good job of 
you you content marketed before you launched product and it's very smart and you built community before you launched product. And Michael and I were talking about this morning, a lot of people launch product and then try to build the community and then try to content mark or then then try to No, what I was saying is I was in a you asked what I was I was in a meeting yesterday and I was saying like and you've been in this game a while now it's like everybody thinks like oh I could just create a product mm-hmm. and then like after that I'll like kind of think about content and then like I'll just serve that content to like this massive community that's going to care and it's like well you, you kind of got it backwards like maybe like create some good content that a real community actually cares about and then figure out what to A lot to of people on. don't do that though. And yeah. so was that always your strategy and how are you dipping your toe into product now? Definitely wasn't always my strategy. My my goal, end goal in life is to go affect people positively, probably in the form of speaking somehow, some way. I'm not totally into stand-up comedy because you got to be funny for an hour. I'm not really into being a motivational speaker because it's like kind of corny, with, for lack of a better word. Like, I don't want to be like, you can do it. Like, no, maybe you can do it. I don't know. Let's figure it out. <laughs> But I like mixing humor and inspiration together to deliver a message that I think can at least inspire some thoughts in people, right? That's for your followers. Not for her. I'm not being weird. Okay. No. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> what if I just over here like, like now I'm pissed. Now I'm You like- flex your arm at me. <laughs> ah. But the, the Influencers in the Wild page was built before the game, obviously. It was unintentional, but... Uh, you know, to, to have your whole career and livelihood at the whim of, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and his algorithm, I trust Mark Zuckerberg with my life. You see what's going on with Twitter right now, what happened with Vine. I knew people who were making their living on Vine and all of a sudden you got, you go to log into the app and it's like, we're not here anymore. Best of luck to you, <laughs> you know? So I trust Instagram, I trust Facebook, but still the algorithm is problematic and it's always changing. You can never figure it out. So I wanted to launch something that would free me from that a little bit. And the game came of a a conversation between myself and Adam, Meme Daddy's co-host, brilliant, unbelievably funny, creative person. We were on the phone and it was just like, dude, what if we created a game where people traveled around the world to all these influencer hotspots and racked up followers instead of money. Like, give us some some examples. Like, where you have, are you we have traveling? The pink wall in, in LA. Did you have that one? That's the that's where you end <laughs> the, the game. End. Yeah, the, <laughs> I mean, to be honest with you, even having the community and then launching the product, it's still hard. People don't just go, "Oh yeah, I'll buy that." It's still you're trying to extract money from people. It's not easy. So, but the game we tried to make it so that the game was so good that once people started buying the game, the game would just explode it sell itself so the game the premise of the game is that you pick an influencer playing piece you pick the girl in the yoga pose or the fitness influencer guy or the coachella girl or the dog <laughs> with sunglasses like you i'm know, the selfie huh the selfie stick? i'm the selfie girl you're the selfie stick yeah, i think so and the guy dancing like a tiktok dance okay so the six pieces you roll the die <laughs> and you go around the board if you land on no wi-fi you lose a turn if you land on an influencer hotspot, you gain 100,000 followers. If you land on Fire Festival, you go back to the middle of the board and you lose 100,000 <laughs> followers. But there's like Bali, Tulum, Music Festival, Desert Rave, because we couldn't put Burning Man, but I think Desert Rave is funnier anyway. <laughs> I just picture somebody coming out of Burning Man like high as hell. They're like, oh, like this is in some goggles. desert rave, man. I don't remember the name of it. And then when you land on the blue spaces, 
that's where, in my opinion, all the fun is. So the blue spaces are like 80% of the board, maybe 85. And you pick a random playing card and there's rewards, penalties, challenges, or questions. Questions are like, has the person to your right ever had oat milk? If you guess right, you get followers. Who at the table is most likely to, you know, post a picture of their Starbucks drink? Like stupid little questions to get conversation going. The challenges are, my personal favorite one is you got to give your best hustle and grind motivational speech to the camera and then post it with the hashtag influencer game. That's amazing. <laughs> so That's smart. stupid. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. So the challenges make the promo built into the game, but it's also designed to like make you feel uncomfortable as being an influencer is. It's wildly uncomfortable to record yourself out in public walking down a street. I don't care what anybody says. It feels weird. Unless maybe time. you're Gary Vee. He might be the only one that's immune to it. But he's who we made that card for. Yeah, I'm just... <laughs> the rewards are like, your, your video goes viral on TikTok. Will Smith likes your post. The Rock reposted your meme. John Mayer comments on your post. Things that like have happened in my life. And then the penalties are the best part. The that happened in your life. Yeah. Oh, Kristen Bell reposts your account and tells who, you... Who has been the person that, and I'm Lauren maybe asking the same thing, that shocked you the most that seen your content and was like, holy shit. Like, Will Smith's pretty gnarly. The Rock? I mean, at this point, at, at the time... Besides Lauren Boston. At the at the time, the the to this day, the most exciting thing that's ever happened is The Rock reposting. 100%. That's amazing. And what did he repost? It was a Photoshop of him and uh, Barack Obama, and I just captioned it, The Rock Obama. <laughs> it was so stupid. What's the funniest meme you personally think? Not the audience. What do you think is the funniest meme you've ever posted? It's so dumb. Tell us. There's a guy, Seamus, in the WWE. Okay. You know who that is? Yeah. He's pale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Beyond pale. Looks like that one. Yeah, yeah. So... I just saw this meme one day and I mean, sometimes, I mean, it may have been a mood I was in. I don't know, but he, it's him standing like this and it's white font. So like if you use white font, obviously you can't read what it is. So the, it says, they said I'd never make it. They said I didn't have the look they, and then it goes white and it's <laughs> over his body and you can't read it. Oh my God, dude. <laughs> 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 That's actually pretty fucking funny. <laughs> and so you just can't see what Because he's so pale. They said I didn't have the look. <laughs> Wait, what does it say? Oh, he's pale. That's why I can't read it. Like, and every time I post it, I've posted it probably like six <laughs> times because I just, I get in a, I, I, I want people to understand it. Half the people think it's the funniest thing they've ever seen. Half the people are like, I don't get it. Well, when you explain, like, when you explain it like that, I, I think it, Yeah. That's pretty fucking funny. Where can everyone awesome. buy your game, find you, follow you, all the things? Get your book. The game is at Target. Probably the best place to get it. Unless you want to go to influencersinthewildgame.com. But if you like need the game, go to Target and get it because they have cool it. cool that your game's in Target. Congratulations. That's yeah. awesome. I mean, that's Thank a big you. deal. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm saying I know like, I'm not like, oh, so you think you're pretty? It's more like, yeah, I agree. From an outsider's point of view, like, I can't believe it's in Target. It's wild. Cool. Influencers in the wild game. Influencers in the wild on Instagram. Tanks Good News. Tank Sinatra on Instagram. Meme Daddy's podcast. We're having a blast over there. Me and Adam just look at memes and laugh our asses off for an hour. That sounds amazing. Every week. Yeah, it's so much fun. Michael and I are, are going to take the game home and we're going to play the game. Yeah. A lot of things might hit a little close to home, Lauren. 
I want reviews. It's, I think it's fun for people who are fully immersed in the internet, but then there's like one of the penalties is your, you know, uh, your, your dad finds your only fans lose 50,000 followers. So like playing it with an aunt or an uncle who like what's only fans, like explaining it to them is I think funny, but I'm weird. I don't know. Maybe it's not funny, but I think it is. I think it's a great idea. I think yeah. it's funny. I think it's funny as fuck. You posted, fine. you posted a booty verse with a Bible uh, verse. You posted a booty pig with a Bible verse as the caption lose 25,000 followers. <laughs> Why is that bad? Well, well a lot of people try to, they try to post the picture that's hot and do the quote underneath it. Oh, it's so weird. It's so bizarre. Jesus would not like that. Don't use your butt in my words. Tank, together. you can come back anytime <laughs> we're in New York City. You're a real hoot. Thank you so much for coming on at Tank Sinatra on Instagram. Yep. I'm glad we did this, man. This is fun. Yeah, me too. Tell your wife that I'm dying to meet her too because I feel like she has an art of dealing with you. Yes, she does. Yeah. She's the best. Cheers, Thanks man. for coming on. Thank you. Not only are we giving away Tank Sinatra's game, Influencers in the Wild, we also are rounding out the Ring Concierge giveaway. So this is the last week to enter. We are giving away three diamond tennis bracelets, real diamond tennis bracelets. I'm obsessed with this giveaway. All you have to do to win both giveaways is tell us your favorite part of this episode or the Ring Concierge on my latest Instagram at Lauren Bostick. I hope you guys love Tank. I'm obsessed. I feel like he could come back as a reoccurring guest. Make sure you check him out at Tank Sinatra and we'll see you next time.